This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. I want to welcome everyone. It's fantastic to see such a good crowd tonight. I think this is going to be a, a great event. It's been a great week at the, at the Graduate School of Management. So welcome to all of you, um, alumni, guests, uh, friends, business partners, and, and lots of folks from all around campus, which is great to see. Um, I want to thank you for coming. And this is our first uh, Graduate School of Management Dean's Distinguished Speaker event of this academic year and I think we will have a great night. Um, I want to, first of all, acknowledge our, our co-sponsors of this event who are really critical in, in uh, getting our speaker here and helping host tonight. Um, the first is the UC Davis World Food Center. Um, they, uh, they were very uh, helpful in getting the word out and co-sponsoring with us. Um, uh, unfortunately, Josette Lewis, the associate director, really wanted to be here, and I hear she is stuck in some serious traffic, but um, she, we, we want to thank her and acknowledge the World Food Center. Um, also, um, very important, our partners who are, are close to us, the Institute for Innovation and Entrepreneurship, funded, of course, by Mike and Renee Child, and represented tonight by um, Cleve Justice and Andy Harganon, who are both here, so thank you for partnering and, and bringing our speaker tonight. Um, and finally, I also want to acknowledge we have a number of representatives of some of our business partners of the Graduate School of Management who are here. Um, uh, I want to thank you for your support and for coming tonight as well. Uh, Bellamy Inc., Lamplighter Financial, River City Bank, uh, SMUD, and Wells Fargo are all represented, and we, we thank you. So um, time actually flies. Uh, about a year ago uh, was the, ho the first Dean's Distinguished Speaker that, that I was uh, fortunate to host here shortly after I arrived at the school. And just to give a quick update on what has happened the past year, in case you've lost track, uh, we, um, we've had a great uh, year at the Graduate School of Management. We've developed and submitted proposals for a new undergraduate program as well as for a master's in business analytics program that we're excited about. Uh, a few months ago, we graduated our largest class ever of MBA and impact students. Uh, we quickly replaced them with a, a new class of incredibly uh, interesting and talented students with high expectations for those. Um, uh, some of the team who's helping us out tonight were instrumental over the summer in revamping and launching our new website, so our, our public uh, face has a little bit of a new look. Hopefully you've all checked that out. Um, and relevant, you know, to really to tonight's presentation, I mentioned this has been a, a big week and lots going on at the school that's relevant to tonight. Um, so first, one of our partners, as I mentioned, the Child Family Institute for Innovation and Entrepreneurship, uh, has again this year launched their Big Bang uh, competition and has started their series of academies and workshops to help train scientists, innovators of all types to take their ideas and turn them into uh, serious business plans and turn them into reality. And so um, that's been very exciting. Uh, we were talking over dinner that... Uh, the interest on this campus in the intersection of innovation and food is truly amazing. And at last year's Big Bang competition, um, at least two of the top three or four 
winners were in uh, food or were products around food innovation. And so there's a great history here. Um, our partnership with both Mars Inc. and HM Close, both in the ag and food industry, are other examples. And so it's a, it's a good um, environment um, to host tonight's talk. Also relevant to tonight's talk, many of you hopefully know that uh, a couple of days ago we released our what has become an annual study of um, the California women business leaders. Uh, this is really a census of publicly public companies in the state of California where we take a snapshot each year and um, uh, summarize how many women are leading these companies. Uh, it can be a sort of good news, bad news type of report. Um, the number of female CEOs among these companies in California uh, rose by a large percentage over the past year, um, but that was going from 14 female CEOs among these large companies to 17. So a 21% increase, but these, it's still only 17, and so there's much more work to do. Um, these 17 female CEOs represent about 4% of the 400 CEOs of the companies in the study. So it's a very good week to be uh, thinking about and reminding ourselves of the importance of diversity in corporate leadership. And um, that really brings us to uh, tonight's special guest. Um, these, these kind of dismal numbers make it a real pleasure to welcome uh, a, a great female entrepreneur and innovator um, who has um, started a highly successful company and is really is really making some important changes in the food sector. Um, I'll, I'll say just a little bit about our guest. Um, we're very pleased, as you know, to have the co-founder and chief impact officer of Revolution Foods, Kirsten Sands-Toby, who will speak to us tonight. Um, Revolution Foods, I'm sure she will tell you a little bit more, um, but it started with the idea of transforming the way Americans and American kids eat and providing access to healthy and affordable meals. Um, what started, um, they started out in exclusively in schools uh, serving kids and now has grown to include retail um, products as well uh, and offer meal options for families and kids all around the country. Um, they started out, we were talking over dinner about uh, the early days where uh, Kirsten and her co-founder would get into the kitchen at 3 a.m. to make the 500 meals to serve the, school, the schools they started with. Um, it's now uh, approximately 150 million meals uh, down the road. Uh, the company has been incredibly successful with, with uh, substantial and sustained growth. Uh, they now have more than $100 million in annual revenues and serve more than 1.5 million healthy meals every week uh, to kids across 25 U.S. cities. Um, so Kirsten Toby stewards the company's mission and, and branding and really drives the vision for the company, and she'll share some of her insights with us tonight. Um, I don't want to put any pressure on the MBA students in the crowd, but this company and the idea was started when she herself was in business school. So um, what you do today can have very uh, important and long-lasting implications. Um, uh, many honors have been, have been uh, given to, to both our guests and, and the company. Revolution Foods was named by Fast Company as one of the world's 50 most innovative companies just this year. Uh, Kirsten and her co-founder, Kristen Gruss Richmond, um, were named by the Schwab Foundation and World Economics Forum as Social Entrepreneurs of the Year in 2015. 
um, and also were co-named Entrepreneur of the Year by the New Schools Venture Fund um, and noticed in Time magazine uh, among the Education Activists of 2011, as well as listed in Fortune's 40 Under 40 in 2013. I could go on and on about the company and about uh, Kirsten, but I think it's better that I let her tell the story. Uh, and so I'm really uh, honored to welcome um, and turn over the microphone to Kirsten Sands Toby. Good evening. Um, here, I'm going to try to turn this microphone on. Can you hear me now? Okay. Um, I'm going to actually start with a little video clip to, to get you guys warmed up to the, um, the story of Revolution Foods. This is the start of my day. I want a good one. I eat. I study. I play. I create and I dream. Give me a mountain to climb. Give me the impossible. Give me a world to change. And I'll do it. Give me a choice and I'll be smart about it. Because it's me. I would choose the best things for me. I'd choose to fill my day with positive things. Healthy things natural things. I'd start it with food and end it with food. To me, better food means a better mind and body. Give me real food. No funny stuff. Nothing artificial. Give me something good, really good, with an extra portion of yum and a side of respect. Maybe two. This is the start of my life, and I want a good one. shortcut was, but I will go into old school, full screen mode. Okay, so thank you for having me here this evening, and, um, and thanks for listening to the story. A little bit about Revolution Foods and, um, and sort of how we, how we got to where we are and, and some of the values that actually drive our, our business model. Um, so like Ann said, we started in 2006. We were, my business partner Kristen and I were MBA students at the time at, um, at Haas, just down the street. And um, we came together, we actually met in business school, and we came together because the two of us personally shared a sort of a, a set of common values, and those values have actually become what underpins everything that we do at Revolution Foods as a company. So values and core beliefs. We believed that, um, that healthy, nutritious food and healthy eating habits were an important lever for setting kids up for success in life. Um, we believed that all kids deserve access to healthy food no matter where they live, no matter where they're born, no matter what their socioeconomic status, no matter what, um, what their color of their skin. 
And we believe that health is a key driver to, um, to really you know, make change in the world and, and that if kids are healthy, they can pursue their dreams and they can you know, not be, not be um, distracted and, and interrupted by, um, by health problems due to poor nutrition. Um, so we're still driven by those same, those same beliefs, and we now have a team of people working with us at Revolution Foods that, that really believe strongly in those, um, in those core beliefs. Um, you know, we started out with um, just the two of us in a business plan. We've, we raised financing. We've, um, you, we've you know, built the team and, and gotten to where we are today. Um, and, but as I was trying to think about sort of how to, how to frame the discussion today, I was trying to think about what to, um, you know, how to, how to talk about what the... Um, what the sort of ingredients of our business model are. How, how many people have seen this movie? Okay, enough, enough that you know what, at least who this is. So what movie is this? Inside Out. Inside Out. Um, so the interesting thing about Inside Out, I'm a mom, I have three little kids, so this is the kind of movie that I watch these days. It's actually a pretty good movie if you haven't seen it. Um, but but I, the, the premise of this movie is that there are these five emotions within each of us that are sort of, that are, you know, driving us to do different things and driving us to learn and grow in different ways um, and, and driving us to overcome challenges in different ways. And so, you know, inside each of, each of us, we have fear and anger and sadness and disgust, and there, but the, but the, whole personality is driven by joy, and, and joy is sort of the, the, the leader of the pack and, and inside of each of us, um, and you know, that's kind of the, the premise of the movie. So I know some of those things sound like negative emotions. Um, you know, who here loves to be sad? Not, not many people, but sadness is an important part of our personality and, and of you know, overcoming um, obstacles in life. So when I thought about you know, our business, we actually have a sort of a similar dynamic where we have five core um, sort of uh, elements in our business that are driving our business and that are helping us to overcome challenges and make, a, make an impact in the world. Um, so in, in business, I, you know, and in, 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 I think a mission-driven business model, which is you know, the kind of model that we're trying to pioneer, you really have these five core ingredients um, that all have to work together in order to deliver the value and the values that we try to, um, that we try to espouse every day. So those five ingredients are our business model, our financing structure, our product, our people, and they're all driven by our values and all underpinned by our values. And so, you know, values really are in the driver's seat of the, of the business. Um, so I'll go a little bit into kind of what each of these mean for us. So business model. For us, a business model in a mission-driven business, you, and if you're starting, if you're thinking about starting a mission-driven business, you have to figure out what business model are you, what's, what's the structure of your company going to be? Are you going to be a nonprofit? Are you going to be a for-profit? When we were starting out, those were the two options there. Now you can be a benefit corporation. Or you can be a certified B Corp. You can be a flexible purpose corporation. There's all different kinds of structures that you can, um, that you can take on in order to create a mission-driven business. For us, we chose to be a for-profit mission-driven business, and we're actually a certified B Corp also. Um, we actually spent quite a bit of time while we were in business school debating whether we should be a, no a non-profit or a for-profit and, and what the pros and cons of those different, um, those different structures would be. What we, um, what we did was we looked out at kind of what was going on in the space of kids and food and health and nutrition, and we, and we found that there was a lot going on in the philanthropic space. There were a lot of philanthropists that were giving millions of dollars to school districts to plant gardens and do nutrition education. Um, what we found in those kinds of approaches, though, was that there wasn't a lot of scalability to that model. You know, you can find, you know, great philanthropists who can pour a ton of money into one school district, build a beautiful garden, but, you know, that's not going to, that's not going to impact the kids in the, you know, inner city urban district next door or in, you know, the 50,000 other um, schools across the country. 
we also saw that, that um, you know, many food companies were, were really cleaning up their supply chains and still are. There's a lot of innovation going on in, um, in food companies, retail and, you know, retail stores as well as um, food manufacturers. And, you know, there, and especially when we were starting 10 years ago, you know, Whole Foods was really growing and pioneering this, you know, clean supply chain and clean food, um, clean eating movement. But when we looked at that, we, we realized like there was not really a lot of focus on affordability in that, um, in that model. That was you know, this, this sort of part of the food system that was really catering to, the, you know, to the, the wealthiest of the wealthy who could afford to eat a clean, organic um, you know, diet. We also saw a lot of great work happening in education. And you know, we, we looked at, you know, should we just be sort of consultants to educators and, and help them to do better, um, you know, create better food within their schools and, and you know, kind of work within the education space? And, but the more we talked to school leaders, we spent a lot of time while we were in business school talking to school leaders, the more we heard from them, we just need somebody to make fresh food and bring it to our back door. We, we don't want to be managing a restaurant on site. You know, I became a principal because I believe in, you know, I, I'm really good at managing teachers and curriculum and kids and parents and education. I'm not here to manage a restaurant. Um, so we realized that, you know, in order for us to, to accomplish that goal of creating access to fresh, healthy food, especially for, for communities in, in low-income communities and, um, and communities where the majority of kids qualify for free lunch at school, we realized that we had to that we had to actually make the food and deliver it to schools, and that became a, a really key part of our business model. Um, so we we kind of you know honed in on that as our as our business model, and and we thought we could do this by um, by creating a for profit business and by financing it as a for profit business, because we actually talked to a lot of philanthropists who you know looked at us as two MBA students with a ten page PowerPoint presentation and a small pilot program going in a charter school in downtown Oakland, and they said, "Well, call us back in three years, and then we'll give you a donation." <laughs> you know, they didn't, they weren't willing to take a risk on what we were doing, but we did find investors uh, in the, you know, sort of mission-driven venture capital investment world that were an angel investors who were willing to, um, to take a leap and, and take a risk in investing in our model. Um, so the next kind of stage was we had to figure out what was our product going to be and what was our product going to stand for and what was our product going to cost and how are we going to get it out to, um, to kids and families. Um, we talked a lot with, like I said in the early days, we talked a lot with cafeteria managers, food service directors, principals, parents, kids, um, and, and we just heard so often that, that you know, food service directors were trying to make the best food that they could, but they didn't have the supply chain that they wanted to, that you know, the supply chain just wasn't set up for them to make fresh food, and, and you know, they didn't have the cost structure to make fresh food every day in their cafeterias. Um, we... So we started building out a, a commercial kitchen ourselves and said, well, why don't, what, if, what if we aggregate the demand from all of these schools that we're talking to and we create a central kitchen where we can make fresh food and deliver it to schools every day? Um, and that became sort of the, the way that our, that our school meals were, were produced and, and it became what worked the best for the schools that we were working with who didn't have kitchen infrastructure, who didn't have, you know, didn't have the ability to either manage a cook to cook on site or, you know, to... Um, have all the equipment needed to prepare fresh food on site. So we started building this platform of delicious, affordable, healthy, fresh food delivered every day to schools. And, um, and this kind of, this, you know, platform of we did breakfast, we do, um, or we still do <laughs> breakfast, lunch, after school snack, after school supper is now a program that's a federally subsidized program. And, and as we did this, we were kind of building this platform for innovation that allowed us, and bu building a clean supply chain that allowed us to then, you know, take some of those same 
products and some of those same ingredients and package them into retail products and get them into, onto retail shelves so that we could distribute our you know, high-quality food into places where we weren't already in the school systems. Um, it, 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 that enabled us to reach our, um, or, you know, to pursue our goal of scalability even faster. Um, we, you know, built out our first kitchen that was, a, we retrofitted an old McDonald's building in Alameda. That was our first, uh, our first sort of, you know, our own kitchen that we built out. Um, and we built a small team. We raised the, the funding that we needed to get the, the kitchen built out, and we began delivering 500 meals a day in that first year in 2006 to about four schools in, um, in Oakland. And then, you know, by the end of that year, we had more schools calling us and, you know, asking if, if we could work with them. By the end of that year, we were working with 10 schools and serving 1,000 meals a day, um, still getting up at 3 a.m. every day and, um, and getting the food out the door. Um, and we've, you know, we then replicated that model and scaled it into other regions, and we're now serving 1.5 million meals a week to schools across the country. So we have seven of those culinary centers around the country now servicing about 25 cities and, um, and probably about 1,500 school sites. And our retail products are now sold in 3,000 stores, Safeway and um, some Whole Foods and Walmart and a um, variety of stores across the country. Um, so our product was a really important focus area for us and still is. We, we spend probably, you know, the majority of our time developing our product, making sure that our supply chain is set up to, to um, produce the product and get it out to, um, to kids. Financing is a really important and, um, and critical element of building a mission-driven business. Investors are, um, you know, <laughs> investors don't just bring money. They bring expertise. They bring network. They bring, a, you know, a set of values themselves. And so one of the most important um, one of the most important things that we did as we were, you know, building the, the model and figuring out what kind of financing we were going to bring in is we wanted each investor who came into Revolution Foods to be a person who espoused the values of our company. Um, and that's, I don't say that, you know, that, that sounds like, well, doesn't everybody like healthy food for kids? You know, that's like a really easy thing to like. Um, but we, we spend a lot of time, we've, we've, and we've raised now several rounds of financing to, um, to build the company to where we have today. And we've talked to a lot of different investors, and we've, we've brought the investors into the company who, are, who believe in the mission of what we do, who believe in the business model that we have, um, that we have created. Because there are different ways we could be doing this. But, you know, they, they need to really kind of buy into the, the model that we have developed um, and who can bring some expertise to the table. So we, um, we have, you know, really focused on, on building out our investor group and our board in a way that is consistent with the values of the company and that helps to push those, the mission and values forward. So that's meant that we're not just bringing, you know, venture capitalists into the into the mix as investors. We've brought foundations in as equity investors in the company. The Kellogg Foundation is an equity investor in, um, in Revolution Foods and a couple of other foundations, family foundations. And, and that's not through a grant. That's, that's an equity investment in the, um, in the company. So you know, we've, we've tried to really pioneer a, an interesting and innovative social mission-driven financing model that keeps the values of the company consistent with the governance of the company and with the way that the, the board is structured and the way that the investment um, group is structured. 
Um, so we have you know, angel investors, we have, we have high net worth family offices invested in Revolution Foods. These kinds of investors are, are, you know, tend to be more interested in, in a longer term investment than, you know, than some typical sort of venture capital type investors. Um, but most importantly, we have, you know, we've brought the investment in that we've needed to scale as quickly as we can um, because scalability has been a really sort of foundational and fundamental value of what we're trying to do. We want to not just impact a few kids in one city, we want to impact kids and families across the country. Um, so this focus on scalability and repl replicability has, has you know, necessitated us raising a lot of financing. We've now raised $130 million um, to build out our culinary centers, build our team, um, and you know we've and this scaling up has not always been easy. We've had a lot of challenges along the way. We when we first uh, scaled out to outside of California, our first um, jump outside of California was to Washington D.C. So we took you know this fresh food production model that we had developed in California, and we we plunked it down in Washington, D.C., and, you know, didn't quite plan well enough for how that, how that expansion was going to work. We didn't quite think about how long the plane flight was between California and D.C. and how many times we would have to be going there in order to train the team we had built there and, and to, you know, make sure that the facility was set up correctly. And um, it was, you know, that expansion to, to D.C. was probably one of the hardest times of our company history. But it also was one of the one of the moments that brought our team together because you know both investors that were you know sort of like how are they going to do this or were, saw us you know work through these challenges and and build a team that could um, that could really function in DC. Um, and but we also I think probably more than anything what we proved was that we as a California company could be relevant to a totally different region of the country, a totally different, you know, demographic of the country, and that enabled us to then expand across the East Coast, because if we had just sort of marched across the country from, from west to east, we would have been sort of defined as a California company that didn't understand and didn't know how, you know, the, how kids on the East Coast would, would respond and how families, what kind of food families were looking for on the East Coast. Um, so... The, so I think our unique financing structure is really one of the things that has enabled us to now, you know, to get to the point where we now have served 175 million meals to kids and families across the, across the country. Um, but perhaps one of the most important investors in our team, in our company, is our team. So every person who works for us for at least a year it becomes a, a stockholder in the company. And that's been, a, um, so people are really one of the, you know, one of the make or break factors of a company, of any company. But in particular, in a mission-driven company, people are, um, are absolutely critical. And people are not just our team, our employees, it's our supply chain partners, it's our investors, it's our school partners, our board members, um, our advisors, anyone who interacts with the company is an important person to us. And, and you know, our team, our shareholders, our, um, our investors are, you know, really help to drive our success every day. One of the... Um, one of the, the interesting things about this fellow who you see the picture of, he was one of the original people who joined our team in Washington, D.C. when we first expanded. He actually came on as a temp because we had not hired enough people to run the operation in D.C. when we first got there. So Luis and a, and a group of about six or seven other people came on through this temp agency, and they all just showed up kind of ready to work, and we said, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to count, count this and get this over there. 
he's still with us today, seven years later, and he's one of the, and he was just with me in the, um, in the Senate building, in the U.S. Senate building, serving lunch to U.S. Senators um, a couple weeks ago in D.C., and, you know, coming from being this sort of temp who barely spoke a word of English, he was, um, he has now, you know, he's now managing an entire team of culinarians in our, in our culinary center, and that entire team of seven temps who joined us you know, got through that first challenging couple of months in, in our D.C. launch, and they're, they're, they're now the leadership team of our, of our Washington, D.C. Um, Culinary Center. Um, so uh, so if you, I think if you ask almost anyone on our team, whether it's an investor, an employee, why they're working for Revolution Foods, I would guess that they will tell you I'm doing it for the kids. Um, the, the values and the mission of what we do is what drives people to come to work every day. It's what drives investors to, you know, show up and, and re-up their investment when we need more financing. Um, many of our employees actually are family members of kids in the schools that we serve. And so they're also there because they believe that their kids deserve the best food that they can have access to. Um, so it's, it's just been so critical to us to build a team of people in all different areas of partnership for our company um, who are completely committed to the mission and the kids. Um, I also will say that our people and our team have been, have probably taught Kristen and me more than almost anyone else in, um, in the 10 years that we've been building this company. We are, you know, one of the things somebody has, has called us from time to time is we are relentless learners. And we are, and that's probably one of the biggest compliments that anyone can ever give us is that we are constantly listening, constantly asking questions, and constantly trying to learn from the people, you know, inside the company and outside the company who know, frankly, more about this, you know, this um, area than we do. Um, so last but not least is our values. And I think this is, you know, I've, I've tried to talk about this a little bit, but, but our values really are... Um, like in the Inside Out movie, in the driver's seat of the company. And, and you know, there's, there, it's at the end of the day when there are sort of differences between the, what the different um, components of the business need. It's our values that bring us together and help us make decisions and help us move forward um, and help us to really create the impact that we want to have. Um, you know, those core values that Kristen and I came together around still resonate with, with everyone in our company today, whether, whether it's a dishwasher, a truck driver, an investor, our CFO, um, you know, they will tell you that the values of the company around bringing healthy, high-quality food to families across the, the country are, are what drives them and what drives the success of the, of the business. Um, you know, we've translated those values into, you know, very specific sort of drivers of our business. We have our food values that drive our, our culinary team and our supply chain team what they, you know, what's, what's, what's in and what's out, what we allow in our food, what we don't allow in our food. We have a very strict set of sort of ingredient standards and nutrition standards that underpin this, this you know, sort of general value around, around good nutrition. We have cultural values. So every person in our company is trained around the, um, the, the core values that we operate under as a team and as a, as a company. Um, we also have our, our values around, um, you know, really creating a, a sustainable business. Um, and I mean a, a financially sustainable business. We are, you know, we are a for-profit, social mission-driven business, and we always say, you know, no margin, no mission. If we aren't operating and delivering excellence in our financial results, we're not able to have the impact that we want to have on kids and families every day. Um, so we, you know, we have a value around financial sustainability, making sure that cost controls are in place, making sure, you know, waste controls are in place, making sure that every person understands the financial model of the of the business so that, you know, we're able to, because every 
every team member is an owner, we're able to deliver the results that, you know, that we need to deliver in order to have the, the impact that we want to have. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, the, these values really were what, what has, you know, allowed us to, to take advantage of what we see as a real market opportunity for creating, for creating change and creating impact in kids and with kids and families. Um, and still today, over 75% of the kids in schools that eat our, um, our school meals every day qualify for free lunch. So we're serving, you know, a majority low-income population where, you know, in, most of the kids that we're serving don't have reliable meals coming onto their, um, their home tables at, at breakfast, at dinner, and on the weekends. Um, so for many of the kids that we serve, we're serving them their, their breakfast, their lunch, and even a supper before they go home from, um, before the end of the day at school. Um, so ultimately, the, the values are our driver, allowing our growth as a company to be our impact. So that's, and that's something that everyone in our company is, um, is on board with, that we are growing fast. It's not always easy to grow fast, but we're growing fast because we want to have an impact on kids. Um, we're, gro- we're also aligning the, the profitability and the margin structure of our company with our mission. So that we, you know, in order to grow and have the impact that we have, <coughs> excuse me, um, we have to have a financially sustainable um, business model. And at the end of the day, for our team, for our investors, and for the market, the values that we have built within this company and the values that drive the company are our value for investors and for, um, for our team at the end of the day. So, um, that's uh, our values are our value is something that we've really tried to make sure that every person on our team and every person in our investment group understands because it's a um, it's a it's a critical part of our business model and it's what is fueling our ability to have a positive impact on kids and families across America. So I will stop there and see if there. I know that there are some questions in the audience, so I will maybe pause and see what questions are out there. Yes. Hi, I'm Grace. Um, I think you said, uh, I'm Grace. I'm a first-year MBA student. I think you successful entrepreneur journey set us a very great example to follow. My question is that um, what's the cutting-edge competitiveness of the revolution foods over your major competitors? and draw a lot of attention from the venture capital investors. So it's, it's interesting. So the, um, our sort of competitive advantage, I think, is that we have entered a space that is really difficult to execute in. We're, create, we're making fresh food. We're delivering it to schools. We're in a very heavily regulated industry, school meals. There's a huge federal program that's um, you know, auditing schools on a, on a daily basis. And the fact that we've been able to do that at a, at a scale and at a level of affordability is, um, you know, I think our execution has actually been a competitive advantage, the fact that we've just, that we've just been able to do it. Um, when you look at sort of the competitive, you know, what, who else is doing what we're doing, there's nobody else that's doing what we're doing at a national scale. And, I, and it makes me really sad to say that. <laughs> I wish we had more competition, frankly, because I think, you know, kids would be much better off if there were more options for um, for fresh food in schools, and there just there aren't. There are there are heavily processed frozen food options for schools. There are schools, much wealthier schools, can afford to sort of do on-site, you know, food preparation. 
Um, but if you're a low-income urban school district, you don't have money to do that kind of thing. And so, you know, the, the fact that we've been able to, you know, build and execute on this model, frankly, has been our competitive advantage. Uh, hi, Kristen. Oh, hi. <laughs> hi, Kristen. Uh, I really admire uh, your vision, which drives the company uh, to be successful for 10 years. Uh, just wondering, uh, wh where do you see your company and the food industry heading to for the next 10 years? Thank you. That's a really good question. Um, I think the food industry is changing a lot right now, and, um, and there is a lot going on in food innovation and entrepreneurship. I mean, I... I, I sort of am afraid to say it, but I think we're in a little bit of a bubble with, um, with regard to venture capital investment in food. And um, so it's hard to say. It's like when you're in a bubble, it's, it's hard to say what's going what's gonna to survive the, the bubble bursting. Um, I do believe that the, that the way that we access food is going to be fundamentally different 10 years from now than it is today. Like I don't think we're going to be pushing grocery carts up and down the aisles of big um, grocery stores anymore. We, we may be, but I think, there's, a, um, but I think there's, there's so much going on with food delivery. I don't know how sustainable the model of, um, of home delivery of food actually is. Right now, it's all completely financed by venture capital, and, and we'll see kind of what, what shakes out at the end of the day with, um, with regard to you know, sustainable business models. I know like my own sh personal shopping habits have changed dramatically over the last year since Amazon Fresh came to my neighborhood. <laughs> And um, so, you know, there's nothing more convenient than ordering milk at 10 p.m. at night and having it show up on your doorstep at, um, you know, before 7 a.m. the next morning. And, I, and that couldn't happen two years ago. So, um, so it's hard to imagine what's going to happen 10 years from now and what's going to change. But I think, um, I do think, I think a lot of the way that we access food is going to change. I don't know if, I, I don't think all of the companies that are out there delivering food to people's homes are going to survive, though. Thanks very much. Um, I'm very interested in sort of the space you were describing, this developing nexus in between for-profit and non-profit organizations. And so specifically, I'd be interested to know what were the benefits that you saw in being a certified B Corp? Why did you go through the process of, of achieving that? Um, it's a good question. So, the, so the, the B Lab actually started the same year that we did. So it's a very new, um, it's a very new certification and, and benefit corporation is, a, is an even newer um, sort of you know, corporate structure that's evolved um, or that's emerged hasn't evolved. Um, we decided to become a certified B Corp. I mean, very honestly, we, we were like, well, that sounds cool. You know, like third party certification of our social mission. Like, great, let's do it. Um, and we got discounts on using salesforce.com by doing it. So like there, there, was some, there were some very like tangible reasons that we, um, that we did it. It's, you know, I think as now that we're in consumer products, and so now that we have a product that's on shelves in grocery stores, it's starting to become more recognized by consumers as a, you know, oh, I believe, you know, this, this is sort of a stamp of approval that I will, that I, you know, can support this brand. Um, I don't think it's ubiquitous yet, though. Like, I don't think every consumer who sees the little B with the circle around it knows what that means or is going to go Google it and understand what it means. Um, so for us, it's been, it's been you know, it's, in, in some ways, it's a good, it's, we don't have our own, it's, it's enabled us not to have to create all of our own metrics around all of the sort of social metrics and social impact metrics. It's, it's a, you know, ready set of metrics that then can be compared to other companies and that sort of thing. Um, and it's a, you know, I just believe in the movement. And so, you know, 
I, you know, personally have said like we're gonna we're gonna be a B corp as long as we can, and we're gonna try to become a benefit corporation. We're gonna try to reincorporate as a benefit corporation if we can get our investors on board with it. And um, we actually have investors that are very on board with the idea of it. But there are very few companies of our size or companies who have considered, you know, entering the public market um, that are benefit corporations. And so the, the, the only reason I can envision that our investors wouldn't want to go for it is that there's, we, they wouldn't want to be the first. Um, so it's, I think there's a, there's, it's another, like, very changing and evolving area of business and um, one that's really exciting. I think if any of you are thinking of starting a company, I would, I would, you know, highly recommend incorporating from the get-go as a benefit corporation if you can, because making the change is a lot harder once you're at a reasonable size and scale. Hi, thank you. And um, just curious as to, you know, the, I love the value equals values. And so in looking at the healthy meals and really engaging with kids and your entree video is what are you doing to link to the nutrition education and to really making the healthy foods, the choice of foods that kids are eating and bringing home, so doing the education and linkage to families? That's a really great question. So um, we do a lot of nutrition education through partnerships with nonprofit organizations because one thing that we have realized, and you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but schools don't pay for nutrition education. Right now, nutrition education is almost entirely funded by philanthropy. Um, so you know, right now, as far as I can tell, there's not a, there's not a sort of for-profit business model in nutrition education. So we, what we do is we partner with nonprofits who can bring the philanthropic funding in to deliver nutrition education programs, whether that's cooking programs or garden programs. It kind of depends on what resources the school has because, you can't, because schools have to support nutrition education through their own teachers or their own administration also. Um, so we have a, a number of different partnerships with you know, Cooking Matters, which is a share of strength program, with Common Threads, which does an after-school cooking program. Um, with uh, Recipe for Success, which does teacher training around garden education. So, um, and, and we actually have great relationships with foundations, and so we'll, we'll sometimes try to like, help do some matchmaking around getting a foundation to give a grant to a specific school to bring a nutrition education program in where we're operating. Um, so it's, it's, we, we do it through sort of philanthropic partnerships at this point. But it's, a, it's critical. It's a really important piece of building healthy eating habits is actually you know, doing the education um, we also believe that a lot of the work that we do just around exposing kids to, to new foods and healthier foods and fresh fruits and vegetables every day is educational in and of itself. And our goal has always been to make our program just even on its own in the, you know, in the school cafeteria to make it educational. So messaging and packaging is tied to the things that Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm the only dietitian in the crowd, and I have a technical non-business question. So to meet the USDA guidelines, do you do it by servings, or do you do a third of the RDA, and um, who does your analysis? How do you get that done? And then my other question is, how do you meet the needs of children, let's say, who have diabetes, PKU? I'm a dietitian who specializes in um, inborn errors and metabolism. 
Yeah, so we, um, we have a team of seven dietitians on staff who do all of our auditing and compliance work, as well as our product development work. So we, um, all of our school meals have to comply with the, the National School Lunch Program guidelines, which are very strict, and they're tied to the dietary guidelines of, um, for Americans, but they're, they're very specific and prescriptive in food-based menu planning. Um, so we, because we have to operate within the National School Lunch Program um, compliance environment, we, we do all of our compliance with National School Lunch Program guidelines. Um, on top of that, we, we have our own set of, of nutrition and, and preparation standards. So, you know, all of our fruits and vegetables are fresh, or you know, in the case of vegetables, we do some frozen vegetables. Um, we limit the amount of sugar in, our, in the foods that we either ma manufacture ourselves or, or work with our supply chain on. Um, areas that are not regulated under the National School Lunch Program, we sort of have above and beyond guidelines. We also have an, an ingredient guideline around, um, around some of the artificial colors and flavors and things like that that we don't allow into our food. So we ensure kind of a clean supply chain coming in, um, in addition to the, the nutrition guidelines. You had a second part of your question, which was, oh, special needs for special dietary needs. So we, under the under the National School Lunch Program, we're required to accommodate any child who has a, a you know a medically diagnosed special dietary need. So we'll um, we provide documentation if it's needed, or we provide special meals if they're um, if they're required. So hi, Kristen. I really enjoy like how you talk about like your mission has to be driven by the margin. But like as a food scientist myself, working for like large food industry, I know exactly how hard it is to really like deliver like the good quality food, clean supply chain. It comes with a cost. So how do you control the cost by still having a margin with your company at a scalable amount? Yeah. Well, cost control is required. Takes up a lot of our team's time, and and cost control comes from the very beginning. We do we do cost based design, so we say you know we have this amount of money to design this meal in, and you know it's like an Iron Chef competition. Like here's here's the amount of money you have. Here are the ingredients you can work with. Go go play. Um, and I mean I, I say that jokingly, but it's it is kind of that that's sort of what our culinary team has to work with, and they have to work within all the guidelines that we have: the nutrition guidelines, the federal guidelines, and the ingredient guidelines. Um, so it's it's a tough puzzle to solve, um, but I think when you know when we when we set out with all of these with all of our guidelines and our values in place, then you know we have that box to work within to to develop our food. Um, we also are very careful with waste control, so we have incredibly low levels of waste in our in our production because. And we've designed our model. And schools sometimes don't like this, but we require them to place their orders with us a week ahead of time. So you know, so we can then place our orders with our supply chain partners to bring the ingredients in, so that we're not over-ordering or under-ordering, which helps with cost control. Um, and then we just, you know, it's a lot of training of our team, so that there is, you know, really careful attention to making the meals according to the the guidelines that we set out and. Um, you know, it's, it's certainly not easy, but it's it's a you know it's a, a fun, creative challenge for our chefs to make great tasting meals that fit, that meet within that you know kind of as long as we give them that box to play within, it actually is easier to play within that box than to sort of like start over here and say, oh, wouldn't it be great to make this meal? And then oh my gosh, look at the cost of all those ingredients. It's not gonna and then try to fit it into the box. So we give them the box first, and then you know you, we can play within that. 
Hi, my name is Christine Swanson, and I'm a part-time student in the Sacramento MBA program. I had a question, kind of building off the supply chain. Um, here in Sacramento, farm to fork is really important to the region, and I was curious, because California is blessed with an agricultural diversity, as your business continues to expand outward outside of California, does that become a risk? And if you could kind of talk around how sourcing really is implemented in your business model. Yeah, so California is probably 20% of our business at this point. And then, you know, we, have, we serve a lot of schools in Texas, Colorado, D.C., New Jersey, New York, Boston. Um, so we're in a lot of areas that aren't quite as lucky as California agriculturally. Um, and, you know, so we've built our supply chain accordingly. And, you know, that means we can't have everything be fresh and local all the time. You know, you just can't. It's, it's very difficult if you're living in Boston to eat fresh and local in the middle of winter. Um, and so, I mean, you probably could do it, but it would be... But one of the debates that we have had, actually, is that they're... Like, Washington, D.C., the city of Washington, D.C., has a, um, a local foods requirement in their school meals. And um, so there's you know, a certain percentage of, of food that's served in schools that's required to be locally sourced. And so you know, we have debates with the regulatory authorities there around whether it's better to serve a kid you know, locally made applesauce or a fresh apple that's not local, um, that's not locally sourced. Because you know, under the, the you know, local sourcing guidelines, you should serve the applesauce. But nutritionally, and we could ask the dietitians in the room, it's better for you to eat the fresh apple. Um, and so, you know, there, there are places where, you know, we have to kind of navigate those, those requirements and, and, you know, figuring out, like, which value do you want to put on top, right? Do you want to put the nutrition value on top or the, the local economy value on top? And, you know, they're, they're not easy questions to answer. But, um, but we have really tried to, you know, build a supply chain that can support national, um, national expansion. Have you been able to quantify how, how much better the students who eat your food do versus who, those who don't? That's a good question. So we, um, I was saying over dinner, one of the things I think we have not done a good job of is collecting that kind of data over the years. We've been so focused on execution and getting the food out the door every day um, that we just, we haven't put that, we haven't put any of our sort of financial investment into designing the right, you know, sort of evaluation tools to, to that really quantitatively measure that kind of um, question. What we do have is a lot of stories and anecdotes from, um, you know, from school leaders and teachers and parents even who, who talk about what, what impacts they're seeing. And um, I was on a, a panel at a conference, superintendent's conference, or school, superintendents and school boards conference with the, the superintendent of San Francisco Unified, and I gave a little talk about Revolution Foods, and he gave a little talk about the San Francisco Unified partnership with Revolution Foods. And, and he put up this slide that, you know, was from his school survey data that showed that the kids who were eating, that were, it was like kids who were getting getting A's, B's, C's, D's, and F's in school, in their middle school um, community, and, and basically correlating it to kids who were eating breakfast and fresh fruit every day um, through the Revolution Foods Partnership. So, I mean, it's that kind, of, that kind of data. I mean, it's not like published data, but it's that kind of data from school surveys and, and you know, principals and superintendents kind of pulling that, um, that I mean, there's no, I'm sure you couldn't prove causation there, but proving that sort of correlation is there that, you know, the kids who are eating breakfast every day and kids who are eating fresh fruit every day are the same kids who are doing better on their tests. Um, so we, you know, we try to collect as many anecdotes like that as we can and testimonials, um, and I would love for us to get better about actually doing sort of pre and post surveys and, and doing more robust data collection. 
Hey, so my kids only eat grilled cheese and quesadillas and pizza. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious, though, I mean, do you have any trouble with kids adopting your food programs as you sort of wean them off the frozen pizza onto healthier foods? And how do you work with school districts to help the kids actually eat what's put in front of them? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, over dinner, I was saying that there is, there's been nothing more humbling than becoming a parent in this process. <laughs> um, so I have three kids also, and um, and they each have completely different eating habits. And, you know, they're all growing up in my household eating the same food. And one is a super picky eater. One eats anything that you put in front of her. and the, Or one eats anything but has a severe nut allergy, actually. And then the baby, the 18-month-old, eats absolutely everything that I put in front of her, including, like, spicy Chinese food. And um, so I... I don't know if I have a, a sort of like the, the answer for like what do you do with, with because my middle kid is just super picky and she, she eats a very limited amount of things, but I try to find those things and, and you know, in Revolution Foods, we, we really try to get, you know, school leaders to, to sort of take the pressure off of the healthy eating, sort of like sh- shoving it down kids' throats and, and just give them a lot of different options and give them a lot of different things to choose from there's, you know, most kids will eat fruit. You know, like there's a lot of different, you know, there's many different kinds of fruit. Some kids like some kinds of fruit, some like other, don't like other kinds of fruit. Um, but, you know, getting them to eat fruit, just, you know, making changes in what's available to them in terms of, um, you know, we make everything, every sandwich or hamburger or, you know, bunned meal that we serve comes on a whole grain bun. And so you, so kids just can't get white bread in our, in our, um, in our system. Um, you know, fruit is always fresh. So it's, it, some of it is just about kind of making the, making the healthy option the only one that's there and, um, and hoping for the best. And, and, you know, the more kids are exposed to, um, to some of those new things, the more they're going to be likely to, to start trying them. We, one, more, one more question? Okay, last question. Where are the microphones? Oh. Oh, <laughs> there's one over here. <laughs> I, I saw a hand. Yes. So you might have to retread some of what we went over in dinner, but you said your competitive bench, you know, advantage largely based on your execution. Coming from food, executing on regulations really hard. And do you trust your local like groups to really try to stay ahead and kind of get you know a finger on the pulse of what is the state going to do, what is the regulatory system that we're working with going to do, or do you try to have sort of a centralized approach to that? So when it comes to policy. Um, we, we do that mostly centrally. We, um, we have our, our team of our you know, nutrition team and then you know, I and a couple of other folks in, on the team sort of keep an eye on, on what's going on policy-wise. And you know, we work in, in school food. It's mostly federally regulated, so it's kind of like you really just mostly have to keep an eye on what's happening in Washington. Um, there are some state-level regulations that, you know, that are like tweaks you know, this way and that way, but they don't change really fundamentally the, the overall school meal program. Um, some, one, of the, one of the nice things that we like to see is that some states actually have an additional reimbursement. Um, so you know, in California, schools get an additional, I think it's about 20 cents per meal um, to provide food to low-income kids, whereas most other states don't have any re- additional reimbursement. Um, the other thing, if I had more sort of time and, uh, and resources available, is that I think we would have a more concerted kind of policy-focused 
effort, but it's something that we just, you know, it, with our current structure, we don't have a lot of resources to put towards that, but I think, you know, if we could, if we could wave a magic wand and have more states that have more, you know, reimbursement for low-income kids to get healthy, fresh food into their systems, um, that would be a great policy win at a local level. Yeah, I think we're done. Wow. Yeah, so that was uh, fantastic. So keeping on the theme, uh, we have a, a gift to wow. thank you that is, is, I believe, all products uh, from made by companies from GSM alumni. Wow. Uh, there's some beer, some nice crackers. Uh, so Lovely. Thank you so much. So please join me in giving. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.